Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This week, Season 2. Two countries, two hosts, two cities, two more degrees than last season. Yes. Kaylee, what have you been up to? Oh, well, you know, the degree, and now I'm located in another city. So, mm. we, yeah, since we don't live in the same city anymore. Yeah, so uh, Kaylee and I will be, um, for the first time, attempting to podcast over the internet. The miracle of technology. The miracle of technology. We are probably, I mean, we're definitely further apart than the two countries that we're talking about. Yep. But for the first time, I think we're talking about two countries that are very close in the world. Yeah, regionally very close. With two vastly different types of elections that are going on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one debatably had one and the other, you know, seems to be thriving. (laughs) But we'll get into that. (laughs) Uh, so we're talking about Singapore and New Zealand this week. Singapore had what you could call an election. There was only one person who was able to run mm-hmm. out of a country of 5 million. Uh, and New Zealand has like, you know, over a dozen political parties running. I mean, not all of yeah. them having seats or any chance of winning, but there's there's definitely a, uh, a difference in competition between the two countries. Yeah. So let's jump into Singapore then. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, heavy start, but we can do this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I first saw that we were talking about Singapore this week, I, as I normally do, hopped on the Wikipedia page. Let's see what's yeah. going on. Let's get, the, <laughs> let's get our, our bearings. And I saw ah, one person ran. It's probably like, you know, when we talked about so many other countries and it's like, ah, this is kind of sad, but whatever. Mm. And I didn't really give too much thought to it. And then I went and looked right at New Zealand. Yeah. But there's a lot more going on than just like, as in past elections or in in other countries we've talked about, just like essentially a dictator deciding Mm -hmm. that they have won the election. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's certainly a little deceiving uh, if you just, yes, or look at the... I mean, initially it was pretty interesting to me because it was the first woman that they've ever elected. Uh, so I was like, well, yeah. it's elected, obviously, but in air quotes there. But yeah, if you sort of read the first part of the Wikipedia page, it looks pretty standard. But then you scroll down a little and you realize that, uh, <laughs> wow, 2016, some stuff happened. Uh, they made, <laughs> made some choices. Uh, they're interesting uh, in and here we are. Uh, but I do. I would recommend scrolling all the way to the parliamentary reforms part of the Wikipedia page because it is yeah. a pretty good summary. <laughs> because there were there were amendments made to the Constitution mm-hmm. of Singapore, which yeah. made it now Singapore the the president that who which the election was for the president. The president is largely a ceremonial role. Yeah, um, for the most part. Yeah. It, they can veto or have input on a few things, but yeah, mostly it is ceremonial. Um, and I think the purpose of the uh, reforms uh, in terms of what they were saying was to give a visible opportunity for anyone to be president. Um, and that the, I think maybe you could say, well, if they can't do much, then it's, you know, why don't we just make sure that uh, anyone like a woman or a person of a minority could be show people in leadership, I guess is the, in theory, the intent behind what they did. So basically, I guess we yeah. should talk about what they did, but <laughs> yeah, 
to give like an overview of what they did, essentially it's, it's so that every five terms, there cannot be five consecutive terms in which a minority group has not been represented. Yes. Essentially. And it's been since 1970 that member of the Malay minority has been mm-hmm. president of yeah. Singapore. So the election was a restricted election this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And only members of the Malay group were allowed to run. Yeah. And I think in theory that could have been something that the population would have accepted. But the second part of uh, requirements to be president made that uh, so... You had to be of a certain uh, a CEO of a company that made over a hundred million in uh, in their currency, or you had to be very high up if in the in the government. Uh, so really, you have to be an insider, either way. And I think if you're dealing with small minority communities, uh, how many people are going to meet both the racial and the or the the minority bar or or the uh, requirements to be a president? Uh, yeah it's definitely an interesting idea that they were mm-hmm. implementing I, I was watching some interviews with just people on the street which obviously you could only choose to interview or show the interviews of the people that you agree with your opinion yeah but it seemed like all the people that they were talking to from ages of 20 years old to you know in their 70s everybody thought you know it's fine you know i'm fine with there being this this new this new rule and they all said you know as long as you can do the job i don't really care you know (laughs) where you're from right everybody everybody seemed happy with the general idea Mm -hmm. right of of letting it of letting this happen they they didn't they weren't upset with it in any way but the extra restrictions on it make Mm -hmm. it kind of strange there seems to have been uh many other people who wanted to run who were who didn't meet the criteria Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think um, what you find a big part of the problem was execution. They could have done this five, like this every five year thing. It didn't have to start the first year after they had put in these changes. So they immediately decided to, once their president uh, was done, they immediately decided to run this limited uh, candidacy election, which kind of smells a little like maybe you're trying to keep power, which you probably are, I guess. Um, the candidates that were running, like if you, the candidates the that were trying to run, um, a lot of them were saying like, I mostly want to run in order to make sure that there's, you know, there is some competition for this role. Like they're not most of them, but a few of them, that was sort of their stated purpose and to then not let them run and then only have one candidate run, which is really too bad because I mean, the woman who ends up, who is now president is actually very qualified and likely could have done well um, from the sort of the pieces I've been reading. Like it's speculated she probably could have done well if she faced some competition. Like she, she very well could have become president. It was based on surveys and stuff too that were a little questionable in there. They, they were operating under a belief that Singaporeans were so racially divided that they would never elect a person of her racial minority but i don't know if that played out and it seems like in an election that it's it, where it's easy to attack the legitimacy of having uh restricted election uh bills to make it so that only one person runs it feels like they weren't even trying to make it more make it legitimate yeah no for sure i mean and sort of a few uh, things i was reading were like if there wasn't a problem with the malay community before 
there's much more likely to be a problem with the Malay community now. Like this sort of sense that the the group of Singaporeans that were opposed to or were racially opposed to Malays didn't necessarily have a foot to stand on for why they would be that way. But now a woman's just yeah. walked in. And not to say that she isn't a qualified and probably could be a very good president, but that that sort of the legitimacy. If you don't have legitimacy, that's going to be a problem. Exactly. It's taking it's taking someone that could have been fine mm-hmm. and just giving ammunition. Yeah to critics of it Mm -hmm. no definitely for no reason (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it all seems a bit uh silly they really set themselves up to look like um like there's a this dr tan chen bok uh is sort of he's been trying to run for president for a while and he barely he just barely lost the last election and that looked a little i think there was some question raised about that um and just the way they did this, it, it also made it look like they were trying to make sure he would never be president. And I think, you know, just yeah. you can't raise these questions and expect things to go well, I guess, or to be accepted. Now, they have they have decided, you know, the the minority groups. But how do you know? I didn't I didn't see this anywhere. How they actually decide which groups have to be in power every every five cycles. Yeah. And how, what are the criteria for being included within that group? Is it, is it just whoever identifies as that group or are there, is there some sort of, you know, algorithm that they have that decides, oh, you're part of this group or you're not part of this group? Because that seems, it seems like there's potential for abuse by, you know, the parliament who decides who's part of this group and who's not part of this group. Yeah. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how the rotation in terms of minority group works, but I was do, in some reading, like it sounds like the dominant group is the Chinese Singaporeans. So I imagine that it, just everyone else kind of would fall into a group that they could, every other major group, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the parameters, I couldn't really find anything on that. But I think it was interesting to see like a couple of the candidates that ran um, had had claims to being a part of the Malay community, but the they weren't given the certification of being from the Malay community, and that was determined by like a, a council related to the government. Which I think that's a good question. Certainly, I saw uh, like brings a lot of questions. Like, how do you determine whether or not he is from the like Mohammed Saleh Marcan? I probably messed up his the pronunciation of his name, but he's Muslim. And from the Malay community, but he wasn't given the certification of eligibility. Yeah. So what's the bar? Similarly, I mean, just to quickly dip into the New Zealand mm-hmm. election, uh, I, I was reading about uh, some deputy minister, uh, Joyce, mm-hmm. and his citizenship uh, is called into question somehow about his, his citizenship from descendants or something. Oh, okay. And I mean, that that seems like a fairly cut and dry whether or not you're a citizen, because you can just look and go back and see if the papers are there. Yeah. Uh, And there are there are defined rules around like the legality of being a citizen. Yeah. Uh, And even that still there are issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely. Right there. But and when you're just defining these groups uh, and the group defining the group is, you know, the parliament, which has this group underrepresented in it. You can, <laughs> you can see how there is, uh, you know, opportunity for yeah for things to not be all above board. No, it's certainly a concern, and especially when um, they say that the purpose of this is about 
like multiculturalism being alive and well in Singapore and like really representing that. Like, I mean, uh, why does the person have to be purely Malay? Like, doesn't, is it, if it's part of a multicultural society, uh, can't they also, you know, it'd be, that, that means that in theory, somebody who is partially Malay should also be able to run. I mean, in terms of if you, but I guess we're also looking at it from a Canadian perspective too, uh, in terms of how we see multicultural societies, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to see how it will, uh, how it will play out. She seems to have had, uh, you know, a reasonably good, uh, reception Mm -hmm. from Singapore. From Singapore. Um, yeah. And I think the, there is sort of this interesting thing in terms of the international community has been a little like, oh, well, congratulations on your first female president. That's great. Um, and for trying to represent minorities, but we're not sure about how you did it. Like, yeah. And Singapore is a country that suppose it has sort of got a sense of pride in its democracy. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out too. But she's supposed to be very qualified. From what I can tell, she sounds very qualified. It'll be interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And Maybe we will uh, start implementing some sort of follow up on past elections that we've done. <laughs> yes. In 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 the future, we can we can tap in and say you know whether our predictions mm-hmm. in anything that we said ever <laughs> ever came to fruition. Yeah, we had, I don't think we've had a terrible record. It might not be the worst thing to revisit. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we can switch gears to New Zealand then, which for many months was seen as a very boring election because it was it was pretty cut and dry who was going to win. Yeah. National, their conservative party who have been in power for already uh, three terms in a row. Yeah. Uh, was, you know, they were doing they were doing well. Mm-hmm. And then what 7 weeks ago about things started to heat up. Labor yeah. got a new leader. Yeah. Jacinda Ardern is yeah, she was unanimously elected by their the party uh, after their kind of boring leader uh they decided they needed to start again with somebody new uh she's and you know it was a good start she's young and uh exciting and has seemed to be very popular uh real upstart one of the articles said yeah in the last few weeks it's it's really incredible to look at the uh the polls yeah and just see the you know it, it looks like an exponential growth in <laughs> their popularity <laughs> yeah um but she i mean she talks about big things so she's you know tackling housing which is like a number one issue for most new zealanders and um and affordability and income equality and those sorts of things like just uh i think it's not obviously the same as what you saw with uh with bernie sanders or those sorts of things but somebody who came in and was exciting and and uh, and I think there was a real opportunity for that in New Zealand because it didn't sound like it was very exciting before. No, the, I mean, the opposition, Bill English, mm-hmm. uh, he's not, he's fairly new as well. He only took over the leadership of National something like nine months ago. Yeah. But... Uh, when their, the past leader, uh, Mr. Key, stepped down. Yeah. And now, I, and but Bill English was uh, Minister of Finance for, what, almost a decade yeah he's, he's been around <laughs> eight years so he's very he's an established he's an established character in new zealand politics and he's not exciting but he is trusted by the people it seems like yeah that's true people know what they get with bill yeah <laughs> maybe he should really 
make that the slogan. I don't know. Which I think, but I think it might actually be pretty close to what their slogan is. Speaking of slogans, just quickly, uh, in the Singaporean election, mm-hmm. her slogan was something like "Do good, do together." All right. Did you? I, I didn't see. Now I'm. I might be misremembering this, but it seemed like it was mostly attacked on grammatical grounds. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they're not wrong. Uh, now, when and I, I mean, when you're running unopposed, I guess you can be you can be quite safe with your campaign slogan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was I, I I don't know it was it was quite funny just that when you're running unopposed and you go with something as as uh, as outlandish and as you know attempting to be exciting as do good do together with no punctuation whatsoever. Yeah, you think <laughs> like you know you want to try and inspire confidence, and I don't know if that did it, but uh, you know whatever. <laughs> In any case, yeah, I'm I'm not sure of the uh, the campaign slogans for uh, Bill or Jacinda. I've seen them a couple times, and like I think the fact that I can't remember probably says something about how interesting <laughs> they were. Uh, like I feel like hers was like let's uh, you know a sub- similar sentiment to doing good together, and then I think yeah. his is like stay the course basically. Uh, <laughs> but it, all in all, not inspiring. <laughs> there are there are other. Uh, political parties as well in New Zealand other than Labour and National yeah. uh, the Greens and uh, New Zealand First and the uh, Minority uh, Maori Party yeah. but I haven't seen them in any of like the the leadership debate that I saw was between uh, Bill and Jacinda mm-hmm. yeah I think in terms of this election uh, they have become more important since uh, Ardern started doing so well um, uh, because yeah. they you know but um, I think the Green Party had a bit of a scandal that kind of set them back. Uh, I, oh. Yeah, the the co the deputy leader, um, they have to have a co leader. There, uh, I I don't know if it's like one man or one woman, but the there's always two leaders, and one of the leaders was uh, brought in. I'm not sure the details of it, but there was a scandal to do with her taxes and mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit of an older scandal. So. She ended up stepping down due to scrutiny of the public, and I think it, it hit them quite hard. I don't think they were ever predicted to win, but I think they were more of a player yeah. before that. Um, and it looks it looks like uh, Labour has gained, I don't know, since when Jacinda took over around this, uh, I guess around since the start of July before she had taken over. They've gained about 20 points-ish yeah. in the polls. From around just below 30 to around 45. Yeah. Uh, but only about, you know, 8 or 10 of those points came from National. And they seem to be uh, cannibalizing the left a little bit with uh, with Green taking quite a hit uh, over the yeah. same time period. I think, uh, I think Ardern has been good for the Labour Party in that she is pretty left. She's more left than the former leader and she, like... And it is a left party, but I think she has moved them a bit further um, in terms of the, the, the things she is looking to achieve. She's pro-refugees, not so much pro-immigration, but pro-refugees. She's affordable housing, free university, things like that, that have been pretty, you know, pretty standard for the left for a while. Um, and I think what will likely happen is... If the if the polls stay this close, if they're if they're as accurate as we think, uh, the, it'll be close. Maybe the national wins, but the coalition building is much more important in New Zealand. Um, yeah. And the 
I, you'll have Green Party probably come in with maybe 9%, 10%. And if they partner with the Green Party, which they seem to be a good pair, uh, I, I think we're going to see a change in government. Would be my guess. Bold prediction, yeah, Kelly. You know, uh, really taking a swing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to. This, we will definitely come back on our next episode and we will look at the results of New Zealand. Maybe I'll have to eat my hat. And we will see if there is, as Kaylee has boldly predicted, a Labour Green coalition. Look, I'm not, I'm not promising, but I'm pretty sure. Now, look at that. We start this episode from two different cities talking about two countries in season two with two more degrees than we had last season. And we end boldly predicting that there will be a two-party coalition yeah. running New Zealand. And I'm about two times more confident in my ability to predict these things. <laughs> Come September 23rd, notice it starts with the two, two-party coalition. Oh, this is just perfect. See you guys next episode.